Welcome, everyone, to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. I think we need to talk. The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 103, Stained Glass, is sponsored by Dembala Voodoo Tours and Shop. It pays that tuition of ours. Pete, a great offering in this episode that we'll be diving into shortly. Uh, of course, we have to mention Around the Horn, particularly on our Pop Culture Podcast feed, if that's where you're listening, or even if you're not listening. Uh, we got some goodies ahead, particularly uh, particularly because of some some breaking news in the geekosphere. Pete, what will we be talking about in the coming days? Well, let's start with the good, Matt. We will be recording our Incredibles 2 review shortly. We'll be bringing that to you this weekend. Indeed, we will. And that's certainly a very, very enjoyable romp uh, at the movies. Uh, and then we'll also be covering some of the breaking news. I guess it, it was as of last night, but it certainly was, uh, certainly was uh, in the forefront this morning, this being uh, June 15th. Uh, that the uh, the two co-showrunners of Star Trek Discovery are out. More on that as to the why and to the analysis uh, when we talk Star Trek later this weekend. Interested in bringing it all to you. Enough about those other universes, Pete. Take us back to the MCU. Recap this episode for us. Our tag scene, rather mysterious, Matt, a 3D printer putting together a figure not understanding which one at this point in black takes us to the title card before a dazed tandy comes to at the scene of the car crash uh the getaway car the uh the just married honeymoon vehicle from the previous episode she sees the gun in tyrone's hand and asks if he's trying to kill her uh, he talks to her, but she can't quite make it out, maybe having sustained a concussion before we hear sirens and she speeds off. The silent detective goes to see Rick Cotton. We finally get the last name of rich kid Rick in the hospital. Rick knows Detective O'Reilly. That's the silent detective's name there. Silent no more. Unnamed no more. Uh, he knows Detective O'Reilly from his uncle who works in the Police Foundation. You know Police Foundation, Matt, right? It's like Army. You know, those medals you got in Army. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uncle a little later on in our uh, light theories segment. Um, but uh, Detective O'Reilly uh, questions. Uh, Rick asks him um, about the, the guy it was that. Uh, attacked him uh rick is is non-committal here you know he didn't see they had been drinking he and his boys that night it's a little fuzzy uh he's got some cuts on his face his explanation is that he fell uh o'reilly a veteran here notes that they look like fingernail marks uh, what they call defensive wounds. She also wants to know why his pants were unbuckled when the paramedics found him. But, oh, oh, Matt, just like that, 
uh, young Rick Cotton needs some rest. He's in pain. We wouldn't want that. Tandy is wiping down the getaway car and then sneaks back into her house past her unconscious mother and Greg the lawyer. She's cleaning blood off her forehead when her mother finds her. It's just then that Detective O'Reilly comes a knocking and Tandy's mother claims to have not seen her in weeks, maybe months. She asks to enter, Detective O'Reilly does, but Greg prevents it by asking O'Reilly for a warrant she doesn't have. Um, uh, Tandy's mom goes back to the bathroom to find her, but she's vanished. At a bus station, Tandy boards a bus and pulls up uh, Billy's hoodie before everybody on the bus disappears. She hears a bouncing basketball. She exits the bus out into the light where she meets young Tyrone. Act two begins with the 3D printer continuing to whir. What's it making here? It looks a lot like a statue. And then we're treated to Tyrone's perspective of the very beginning of the narrative of this episode with uh, Tandy after the car crash. From there, Tyrone heads to Father Delgado's rectory where he finds not Father Delgado, but another fatherly figure. Matt, he lights a candle. He begins to pray out loud. We, the audience, assume he's praying to God. Turns out he's praying to his deceased brother, Billy. Uh, he confesses he might be cursed. As he's making his prayer aloud, Emoji Girl Evita overhears him, wants to know if he's serious about being cursed because she knows somebody who just might be able to help him after school. We cut to a cable car through the streets of Nolens. Um, Tyrone gets off and meets Evita, who is a Dambala voodoo tour guide and uh, takes the tour through the streets there, explaining about the legacy of um, voodoo priestess Madame Laveau, a Catholic, it turns out, and explains that voodoo is not so much of a religion as something you could layer over your religion. When they reach her tomb, she asks for a volunteer, of course, calling on Tyrone, the only one who didn't have his hand up, uh, explains the tradition here of uh, making a wish at the tomb by marking it and spinning around three times and clapping, which uh, Tyrone does just once, brings us into an act break. Act three begins at the Dembala Voodoo Tours and Shop, and uh, it's there that Evita introduces Tyrone to her auntie, who has some voodoo dolls displayed, some as old as the city. Um, Turns out Tyrone doesn't think he deserves her help is what she perceives. And as she begins to look over the uh, tarot cards there, his comes up as the Joker, the hopes and fear position. Um, seems he might need a bath, Matt, but not the kind you're thinking about. This is more of a spiritually cleansing bath. It's a Voodoo religion. Uh, that or a concussion, interestingly, 
would be the other option, something Tandy may have suffered earlier. Um, but this bath or the concussion would clear the spiritual sinuses. Where can we get stuff like that? Oh, yes, your friendly neighborhood Whole Foods. Tyrone and Evita head back to his house where he dodges his mother, who's talking rather pointedly to somebody on the phone about oily optics. And then the, what was the name of that scientist we were talking to? Uh, Evita mixes him the bath. Tyrone is instructed to close his eyes and to think deeply. Things go dark. Evita is gone. Uh, Tyrone trapes through the rest of the house. Photos of he and his brother have been replaced with symbols. His mother and father are not there. There's a door uh, bathed in red light, which he goes through, only to find the Roxxon Corporation neon sign and a young Tandy on a roof. Act four begins with Tandy and young Tyrone. Uh, Billy, the deceased brother, is also on the scene there. They're going to play horse with the word loser, L-O-S-E-R. And uh, the boys who Billy had installed the stereo with years ago only to get stiffed uh, talk again about stealing it back, except this time Billy makes the decision to stay with his brother and hands him uh, what looks like a check. In the forest, there's a table uh, set that Tandy witnesses a uh, 17th century uh, outfit wearing Tyrone uh, reach for uh, a pistol, a dueling pistol. Um, he then sees his parents and Connors, um, as well as two blood soak soaked checks and then cops in riot gear. Uh, a second time he goes through this vision where he grabs a noose. This time the cops, uh, swarm him with torches. A third time goes for the sword. Finally, Tandy breaks the cycle, tells him he can't keep doing this. The end will always be the same. To try something else, she produces a dagger of light next to the dueling pistol, which he grabs and turns into handcuffs for which he chases Connors. Back on the roof, Tyrone with young Tandy. She dances as she did in the ballet studio, but there are sparks and uh, power lines in water on the roof. Suddenly he's in the forest watching Tandy watch several men in what looks like a boardroom, including her father, who is seat belted in to the chair. Um, they vote thumbs down. Then they are forcing water from a pitcher over her father. Tandy runs. Uh, the vision is repeated again, this time with Tandy's mother yelling at the men. Tandy leaves, and then she winds up in quicksand that pulls her under. A third time, young Tandy uh, is witnessed inside the boardroom uh, trying to get the men to let her father go. And Tyrone implores her to stop running, that she has to try something else before she produces another light dagger. Um, through doors, Tyrone 
enters and we have a bunch of Billy Johnson checks all over the floor made out to Tyrone with young Tyrone there, which Tandy witnesses. We're suddenly in a chapel as this extended symbolic sequence comes to a culmination. Uh, there is stained glass featuring um, uh, a, a girl doing ballet as well as a guy that might either be uh, her father or Detective Connors. Take your pick. Uh, the priest, however, is not Father Delgado, but it's a young Tandy who is giving communion to several young men as Goodnight Irene is sung. When the men partake of the communion wafers, they hit the ground with a thud, including Liam, who gives an amen before he hits the ground. Um, Tandy touches the stained glass. Tyrone touches the other side, and they both awake to end the act. Our final act begins with Tandy on the bus back in her regular time. Tyrone in the tub with that we whisk to o'reilly getting into her car with her ever-present coffee there's a knock on the window it's connor's you know vice he's got a present for her what appears to be an id and asks for her to buy him a beer later um she's apparently ex nypd and the ID was found on a dead drug addict in a, in a vice raid that he did earlier in the day himself. Turns out that case she's been looking into, it was just a mugging gone wrong. The victim's lawyers have corroborated it, but none of this fits the evidence. But he explains the case is closed. Go ahead and check with your lieutenant. Oh, and by the way, that beer had better not be any of that hipster Brooklyn stuff. Tandy calls uh, Detective O'Reilly. Uh, her mother had given her the card. She wants to know if the detective is serious about what she said. Tyrone and Evita walk down a street here. Uh, he thanks her. Uh, he is feeling and looking better. They head past the abandoned church where uh, Tandy has been staying. Um, Evita asks if Tyrone has gotten his wish or his answers. Um, he doesn't know if uh, he should really disclose that at this point. She made a wish, too, at the tomb a couple days ago, and she kisses him. Tandy is in a car with Detective O'Reilly. Turns out that is it. The case is indeed closed. But if it's any consolation, Detective O'Reilly is sorry for what has happened to Tandy. And Tandy leaves. The 3D printer continues to work, now producing its product, which a female's hand removes. It is Evita's aunt. And it turns out this is a voodoo doll of Tyrone in black. Tandy heads back into her abandoned church. Tyrone is there and they need to talk. 
Pete, this a very, very interestingly directed episode, directed by uh, Peter Hoare, who we've seen a number of times before. Uh, he did an episode of Runaways, one of Iron Fist, three of Daredevil. <laughs> this is an episode that kind of exists in an ethereal space for much of it, but uh, we do have some concrete uh, baddies in it. Let's talk dark figures. Let's start with poor rich kid rick cotton who he wasn't doing anything wrong at all what before he was uh, mugged can't tell you anything else detective unbuckling his pants and the the specter of pain on his behalf i i love that o'reilly calls him out on this um at the same time of course the specter of some kind of sinister doings what with Police Foundation, Matt. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you could say that Rick captures something of a stereotype, but it's more than a stereotype. There's plenty of people out there who have, you know, that that special card from the this foundation or the that foundation. And the fact that O'Reilly knows that he has defensive wounds, the fact that he was found with his you know, with his belt undone, she knows what this is. There just isn't the proof there. And to me, that's the more important point. Uh, you know, the, the fact that the fact that his guilt is being pursued more than, you know, that that's the larger point versus, you know, oh, he's unlikable rich kid character. I mean, that's, that's again, it, it, maybe it's a stereotype, maybe it's an archetype, but it's also a real type that's out there. I mean, the the choice of last name alone, Cotton, and what that conjures up in the South in a show in which we have several African-American characters who uh, don't seem like they're getting the proper due course from the law What with a crooked cop, at least one that we know of, floating around out there. So the connotations are obviously – very strong where they might have either gotten their money or the allusion to that, particularly in the symbolic way that the visions unfold in this episode. Yeah, I suppose you could argue that the visions themselves, visions of, you know, dark figures going on. I don't, I don't place a lot of uh, kind of current trajectory in them, although I do think that we have, foreshadowing for the episodes to come surprise surprise pete you know executives from Roxon appear to be up to no good albeit in that dreamlight uh dreamlike very ethereal presentation of the the board meeting in the glass room in the middle of the forest uh and you know it's uh it's not a it's not a pleasant bit of visions that we get but uh pete let's talk a little bit here about uh, detective connors as well nothing says classy like a, telling a new worker, a new female worker, a new female worker whom you outrank, uh, telling her where and when she can buy you a beer, but yeah. uh, l make sure it's not anything that's too, you know, fancy-pantsy Brooklyn. Wow. I mean, if you're not clear on this character already from the other awful things he's done, this is a great reminder in this episode that he's not to be trusted. I mean, who doesn't like the Brooklyn suds, but that aside, his, his, his taste aside, man, people are allowed to have bad taste. It's okay. Uh, he is a decidedly one note character 
in in the best possible way. There's no, uh, you know, messing around with the fact that this guy's bad news, that this good cop even understands that this guy is going about it the wrong way uh, and clearly up to no good. Okay, as if his scar, his prominent scar didn't already tell us that he was a bad and scary dude. And I mean, then you layer in some of the other particulars like New Orleans Police Department. I know at least at some point, you know, or points in the past, I don't know the current situation, but they do not have a, uh, shall we say, a perfect record for uh, even handedness and things of that sort. Um, I, I give the episode and the, the narrative a lot of credit for kind of, I mean, for, for, for keeping him in in the story, uh, pulling him out of the background. It is just the one scene that he's in, right, at, at O'Reilly's car? In real time, yes. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. But when he appears in the, in the visions, um, in terms of uh, what we see of him in uniform, you know, back in the day when he, when he shot Billy. Um, and, and I think there's, there's more to chew over there when we talk theories. Well then Pete, let's move from the dark figures to light theories. What, uh, what are you cooking up over there? That Tandy is possibly concussed from her car accident. And then, the uh, the aunt of Evita mentions that one other way to trigger the spiritual cleansing would be a concussion. Can't go without examination. I certainly love the inclusion of some of the voodoo stuff in this episode. Uh, I've had the opportunity to visit New Orleans. I did what you have to do. Of course, you have to do the two-hour you know voodoo walking tour. I did it during the day. I've stood outside Marie Laveau's uh, crypt there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I love that, A, they kind of capture that notion of the city. And then, of course, uh, I mean, not because it's Marvel, not because it's comic books. You have a story set in New Orleans, and it's not, you know, it's not kind of some laced up, you know, like legal drama or something like that. Of course, you need to get some of the voodoo stuff in there. Of course, you need to get some of those hints there. And... I mean, it was very evocative for me to see them, you know, in that part of the city, just as someone who's who's been there. But um, to then start to bring it in here of kind of explaining the background of some of those visions, visions that I, as I said before, I'm sure are going to be, and you know, end up being foreshadowing for other episodes. Um, things like seeing Tandy's father, apparently, again, kind of through this haze of the vision, but kind of high up at rocks on, which I think is not an impression that we got from the first episode, but that could be something as they come, as, as things come to pass. Uh, and I just love, I love that these visions gave us that opportunity, whether it's through the world of voodoo magic, whether it's through the world of superpowers, whether it's just through the world of something as simple as a concussion and the fiends, fates aligning and showing you these things that we're kind of getting kind of glimpses of of what has happened what may happen but all through this weird kind of you know th this weird lens absolutely i i think the, the voodoo is a backdrop and again you know pointing out that cloak and dagger in the comics is set in new york and that they intentionally chose new orleans here the the rich 
history and the the backdrop I think is is so important to take on. Um, not only that, with the voodoo here and you know the 3D printing of this figure of Tyrone again, all in black. Um, really interesting moving forward. What's uh, what's Avita's auntie got planned there? You think, Matt? Well. First of all, I love this juxtaposition of the voodoo doll, this thing that, I mean, everybody knows about voodoo dolls, whether you know anything else about voodoo, authentic or stereotypical or whatever. You kind of know what, you take a piece of rag or maybe some of their real hair or whatever, you make a little rag doll that looks like somebody. No, it's 2018, man. If you're, you know, at least from this episode, if you're if you're believing all this voodoo stuff, then of course you're going to have a 3D printer going there. Um, but what do I take? If you're just, just point of order, if your 3d printer makes voodoo dolls, wouldn't your 3d printer by the nature of voodoo be possessed? I don't know. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get some listeners to sound (laughs) in on this. I'm not quite sure the particulars, but I read it as making a voodoo doll for whatever purposes. Again, I know we all know the stereotype of stick a pin in it and the person feels pain. I think the show would be well served to, to show us whatever else in the voodoo tradition a voodoo doll might be able to do. I would be interested to learn about that just as a cultural point. And again, it doesn't need to tie into MCU. This doesn't need to, you know, where is it on the timeline relative to Thanos? Like, have me understand this weird cultural part of the city. Have me understand this particular point of view unique to new orleans as you unfold some superpowers in there and some you know police drama and some family drama to me it's just a wonderful wonderful addition and it adds to the smarts of setting the show in new orleans love new york but this is giving us something different well, you mentioned Thanos's snap and one of the things that uh it it can't be talked about without you know the the comic infinity war inclusion that uh cloak is is one of the half of the universe that disappears in the snap so pete in the comics you're saying just want to confirm that correct uh and that he disappears the dagger is left behind you know so we have the snap and then we have tyrone's clap in this episode that that ended the act there i i thought whether they knew uh the snap was coming at that point in production and the way that that was done there i i thought was kind of cute um but the 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 voodoo the the doll um everything that's kind of tied together there the the 3d printer as as the uh you know the digital to the analog of of making you know your your doll really really layered for for an episode that wasn't very long this was complex and i really appreciated that two other things i have to chew on matt there's uh rick mentioning his uncle you know with police foundation is his uncle the same as Connor's uncle who fixed everything after Billy's death? Do our two nemesis at this point share a common lineage? Uh, I'm going to say 
See, well, first of all, I think your question, or at least the answer to your question, has to come to this great uh, this great place that we always end up with as we uh, unpack a new series, which is to say, what's the flavor of the writing room? Are they going for that kind of closed, maybe not closed, but that 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 you know, it's a small world kind of sense, or is is there more to it? Is there is it just kind of kind of go for the randomness? The fact that two uncles are mentioned. You know what? If there's not some kind of connection, maybe that's just a little that's a little sloppy there. But I would say if you if you were making me make a decision at this point, I feel like I feel like we're not that closely insulated. It's not going to end up that you know that uh, you know Tyrone's mother's boyfriend in high school actually turns out to be Tandy's father's best friend or something like that. I don't think we're going to go for quite that 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 closer relationship to things so i'll vote no okay well we'll have to uh wait and see what about these checks uh the the check that is seemingly extended by billy to young tyrone the blood-soaked checks in the vision uh obviously the uh johnson family has had some kind of financial windfall in the wake of billy's mysterious death is there any larger meaning to this money you know i think the checks in the vision i think they're a great example of the daring that there was in the direction of this episode or the writing i'm not quite sure where you know where the credit lies whether it's director peter hoare or uh, we have the story by ariella bledger and don kimochi and teleplay by peter calloway so not quite sure you know where where success has come from amidst those four but um i kind of just read it on almost more of a a a figurative presentation of of a more literal thing that you know that that uh the brother has given so much and they're kind of unable to cash these checks because the brother has given his life and they can't you know take anything from that um i really like that interpretation by the way matt why why thank you um I just remain amazed that we have in these previews, like let me put it this way, I, I, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with, uh, with Freeform as a channel, which we, we discussed in last week's podcast. I know that they're certainly not shy to be a little edgy or, or, or a lot edgy, but could you make an argument, guys, look, this is, ep- is going to be the second week this episode, that this series airs. Can we not do some highly metaphorical thing where our guy from today, the handsome young man, all of a sudden he's dressed like it's the 1700s or something. And then there's like riot police with old timey torches. And then like, what's going on? Like, it's going to be too hard for the kids to understand. No, it, it was hard to understand, but you could tell the entire time, this is a dreamlike place. I don't understand every last bit of the checks and of how first uh, Tyrone has the noose and later he's caught by it and things like that. But it has a richness to it that that got my attention, and it was like, "Oh, freeform is okay with this. Um, this is this is this is challenging stuff, and you know, obviously sensitive topics, especially you know, in division, Tyrone uh, lynched and that sort of thing. Th- this is not you know, like, well, let's just crank some stuff out to you know to sell advertiser time to. They're trying to say something, and I want to listen more to understand what they're trying to say." 
Well, Pete, let's hear what some listeners had to say. Uh, let's start with a tweet from uh, Bike BRH, uh, who said, uh, just started catching up on Cloak and Dacker, but Aubrey Joseph's accent is really throwing me. I know he's American, but at the time he sounds like an Englishman uh, failing at an American accent. Is he trying to drop a Brooklyn accent or something? So your thoughts, Pete? Uh, I've not picked that up. I didn't um, get the feeling that he was doing an accent. I, I think the way they've presented the character um, makes his speech a little labored only because of how conflicted Tyrone seems all the time. Um, just as a note to the previous episode, uh, when they sang, um, make me a channel of your peace, he actually sang that that was him, uh, who recorded that, which I really appreciated. I know too. I mean, I, I, let me put it this way. My, my personal opinion. Yes. Aubrey Joseph is from Brooklyn. I feel like he's been a working actor, long enough i mean all the way back to simba on uh, broadway's the lion king you know where i feel like yes he's from one of the uh one of the boroughs of new york but this guy at the tender age of 20 he's been working long enough where i feel like you know i i feel like he for a work setting he can probably affect a number of accents um asked of him whether it's non-regional dialect whether it's this whether it's that so I will say this, getting the tweet, I was listening to Aubrey Joseph, getting the tweet before I watched this episode, um, I was listening to Aubrey Joseph's voice more. I, I would agree with you, Pete. I don't, I didn't feel like there was a accent cover up or an accent being put forth or whatever, but he does have a really interesting voice. Couple that with what you're saying, that he is, despite being you know a co-top lead here, he does seem to he gets less lines in part because he is more c contemplative or he's spending time alone um so i'll just wrap up the thought by saying he has he has a really interesting voice um which uh which is something else we get to to ponder in here as we move forward to facebook we go matt where uh, administrator andrew barreo of the marvel cinematic universe page was gracious enough to allow us in addition to uh fantastic geeks facebook page to post our uh podcast for the first two episodes or a couple comments there uh jim young first wrote in saying just finished watching i will continue to watch i enjoyed it robert t frost no a stranger to these fantastic geek parts writes just finished watching definitely need a rewatch there's a whole lot going on there and then a dissenting opinion matt uh jantique r fielding uh wrote i tried i watched the first 30 35 minutes and I was so bored. I understand the need to establish background. That took 10, maybe 15 minutes tops. There was mood lighting and edgy songs and very little action. I don't need explosions every minute, but I'd like to see some actual plot moving along. Anyway, clearly it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> I agree that all three of these episodes have definitely had their moments where it's like, Oh man, teenage angst, cue the song, montage, uh, which, I mean, is that 
what I would do if it was like make Matt a show. I would decree let's not do that. But you know, it's all good uh, as far as I'm concerned. I know that you know I am not at the center of their demographic for what they're shooting for. I will say this for yeah i i I liked this episode i really liked this episode maybe i didn't love this episode in part because maybe some of the flashbacks were difficult to or you know flashbacks visions etc were a little difficult to decode which is okay to me this show comes back its foundation is olivia holt and aubrey joseph and when you're not sure what's going on uh or if you're not sure how's this episode going you check in with them because they bring this emotion to it that 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 cuts through it all but pete anything else there in your mailbag from itunes matt we have our first review to the cloak and dagger podcast by fantastic geek and it comes courtesy dr steve t the headline is another fantastic with the ph horse in the stable five stars and it reads, just listen to the preview episode. These guys are great podcasters. They are all in on all things Marvel, but are never afraid to criticize when due. Been a C&D fan for a long time. Look, looking forward to them on a screen rather than a page. Well, definitely appreciate the kind words there, particularly from somebody who is steeped in Cloak and Dagger as a comic. You know, the, the adaptation process is always one where some things get improved, some, some things maybe get left behind. And depending on how loyal you are or preferential you are to the original source material, you might not like those changes along the way. So if we're getting a thumbs up on our end and the adaptation end, that's good stuff across the board. And like Dr. Steve T, we would love so much and really appreciate if you could head to iTunes and give us a review there. Uh, every little bit helps in terms of getting our name out there and for people to find our Cloak and Dagger podcast. Absolutely. Indeed, Pete, we love hearing from people in general. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10004. Followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Leave a comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, where we are, of course, Fantastic Geek. Wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. We have rocketed over the 400 like plateau. Matt, always looking for more people uh, to interact with Cloak and Dagger with Luke Cage coming up next week. We got our Incredibles coming at you. We're going to be making another announcement outside of anything we've ever done in the next week to 10 days so uh facebook you get all of that indeed the pop culture podcast feed that we that we have that gets it all too uh, regardless of uh of which of the the feeder feeds which of the specific shows we are podcasting the pop culture podcast feed gets it all so you'll be getting that goodness there if you're listening to us just on the cloak and dagger feed well we will be back next week for sure to talk the fourth episode pete can you believe that we are one third of the way through Shh, don't take? jinx us man don't jinx us 
I've been loving it so far. Oh, it's 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 unlike any other Marvel show, and that's a good thing. It's a nice new corner to be in. And uh, as stated, we'll be back again next week doing the exact same thing. With that, Pete, I will say bon chance to all our listeners and give you the final word. Don't take this the wrong way, but I hope I never see you again. <laughs> <laughs>